Good evening, friends. This is Franz Weinschenk, host of Valley Writers Read, here to welcome you to this week's edition of our program. Tonight, the first chapter of a new novel by Paul Hernandez, a writer who's been on our program numerous times. His story is entitled The Reflection. So here is the author, Paul Hernandez, to read his story, The Reflection. The Reflection by Paul A. Hernandez. This is the first chapter. Great gray and black clouds move silently over the city, casting a shadow on all of us below. No rain fell, but I cursed myself for not remembering to bring my umbrella. I looked up from the newsprint to watch two young women in bright summer dresses cross the street near me. The pair walked past a tall street person who pushed a shopping cart, loaded with a collection of bottles, aluminum cans, milk cartons, assorted rags, newspapers, and a small blue plastic radio. The street person stared at the two women as he continued to slowly push the shopping cart down the sidewalk. The woman ignored his leer as they quickened their pace. Can you spare some change? The transient asked and stopped with the cart with, quite possibly, all of his worldly possessions right in front of me. I turned my back to him and instead set some paper currency into the hand of a large red-headed newsstand attendant instead. He gave me my change. Thanks, I said. The carrot-topped male grunted his approval and motioned the street person on. Go on, will you? At least get downwind. The newsstand attendant lightly kicked the teenage boy in the rump who had been oogling a girly magazine. This ain't no library, he said to the boy, who shot up and closed the magazine. The boy tossed the magazine back into the stack and jammed his hands into his pockets as he walked off with his head lowered. A street preacher called out Bible verses as he paced up and down the sidewalk. Most people ignored him as they walked by. Some actually veered around him, giving him a wide berth, as if he were dangerous. Others simply crossed the street to avoid his words and presence. There was a flash as bright as a strobe that shot down the alley and silhouetted the buildings. Then the rumble of thunder. Oh, great, I said aloud, quickening my pace. Are you assured of your salvation through the redemptive blood of Jesus Christ, the preacher man asked me directly. I actually laughed but said nothing to him as I waited for the traffic to thin out so I could cross the street. Don't you know he died for your sins, he called after me. The curse of sin that started in the garden can be broken with the redemptive power and cleansing blood of Jesus Christ, the street preacher shouted above the city noise. Cars honked, engines roared, people talked and yelled, pigeons cooed, and there was a constant whoosh of a man-made wind as cars passed. I pretended that I couldn't hear him, but of course could hear his voice even over the city din. He was quiet for a few moments, and I turned to see if he had wandered away to harass the consciences of others when I discovered he was standing a few feet from me. I tried not to make eye contact, but something called me as he smiled. Brother, have you ever heard the story of Saul called Paul, he asked in a soft voice. Yes, I answered. It's in the book of Acts, I said, remembering my Sunday school upbringing and hoping to shake the street preacher off my tail. Yes, praise the Lord, it is. The book of Acts, the preacher said, pointing down at the dog-eared, dark brown Bible. There was another flash from the southeast and soon a loud rumble of thunder. I felt a few drops of rain touch my face. 
My dad used to drop us off at church before going to play golf, I added. The preacher squinted and nodded. The Lord told me to tell you that many are called, but few are chosen. And you, my son, are chosen, the man said with an ever-widening smile. Great, he thinks he hears the voice of God, I thought to myself, and walked farther up the street, away from the man of God. He waved at me and turned to begin preaching to a new crowd. Another crack of thunder filled the air and quickened my stride even faster than before. It was Thursday afternoon, time for my regular date with the escort that I had been seeing for nearly six months. She was a constant drain on my pocketbook, yet, like all bad habits, hard to shake. I thought about what I was going to do, half disgusted with myself because of my lust, and half enthralled with the aspect of quenching a desire. I stood on the curb like a man on the brink, on the peak of a ridge, not knowing whether to turn back or to go down the other side. The Word of God says that if anyone calls on the name of Jesus Christ, he will be saved. But don't just believe me. Look it up for yourself in the Bible, the street preacher called out. As water reflects a face, so a man's heart reflects the man, the street preacher continued. My baser emotions won out, like I knew they would, and I looked up to this crosswalk signal. Another flash of lightning silhouetted the city, and two seconds after that, the low rumbling of thunder. I covered my head with the newspaper, hoping not to get totally sopped. The orange-red don't-walk warning flashed twice before a bright white light enveloped me. The back of my head went numb, and I no longer heard any sound. My right heel hurt, and I felt my right arm jerk back painfully. I could not see anything. I could feel the wind brush against my brow and push a few strands of hair out of my face. For those few seconds, I wondered if I was flying up to heaven, flying home. Then I could hear the screech of tires and felt the impact on my left side, then more pain than before. Indescribable pain, pure agony. Then I felt as if I was flying again. There was no pain from the impact initially. The experience was near dreamlike as I was sent off on an unscheduled flight across the intersection that ended when I crashed into a parked car's door, then to the ground. Oh God, I screamed as the pain filled my being. I could hear it more acutely and heard people talking, gasping. I sensed a crowd of people gathered around me and recognized the preacher man's strong voice call out for an ambulance. Someone else shouted, it's a hit and run. A wave of pain broke over what seemed to be every nerve of my body. I must have blacked out because when I forced one eye open, something obscured my right eye's vision. I found myself already on a gurney. I could make out the street preacher standing over me. He was praying with an ebony hand out as I was loaded into an ambulance. He was struck by lightning, he said. He was hit by a car, someone else said. Someone slammed the ambulance door, and I gnashed my teeth as the pain shut up my spine. The ambulance that transported me screamed down the street, and every vibration increased the pain I felt. I could see the reflection of red lights flashing against the building panes outside the small rear windows of the ambulance. For a moment, a mere second of time, I thought I saw something, a flying creature sailing across the street, slowly, like a plastic bag caught in the wind. This dark phantom appeared to leap from one building to the next. Something was applied over my nose, and I tried to focus on the green plastic device that covered my nose and mouth. Cool oxygen filled my lungs. The discomfort increased and I could feel my legs throb along with most of my body. A sharp pain originated from my side and I tried to touch the spot with my left arm, but someone held it down. Just take it easy, a man instructed me. My vision became obstructed by burning fluid in my eyes. Again, I tried to raise my arm to wipe whatever it was off my face. But whoever gripped my arm 
and would not release me. Someone gently dabbed around my eyes with a soft object, and I blinked in effort to try and clear my vision. A blurry white object sat beside me. You're going to be okay. We're almost at the hospital, he said. I tried to concentrate on something other than the intense pain that seemed to spread from every spot in my body, but my mind could only report the agony which inflamed my nerves. I could see myself sway in the gurney as the ambulance negotiated a turn. Then I heard something other than a siren singing. Was someone singing? Then the siren again. I exhaled a painful, shallow breath and thought of my mother hanging clothes on the line in the backyard. It was a windy day and the force of the air carried her hair across her face as she clipped up the last of the clothes. She pulled the hair out of her face and smiled. The pain, I tried to move my left arm and my leg, but someone stopped me by pressing my arm down. It's going to be okay, buddy. It's only one street over, the man said. My name's not Buddy, it's Gordon. My lips quivered as I tried to speak. I could taste blood and something else. Metal? Hey, buddy, hold still. You're going to pull your IV out, someone said. A light in my right eye interrupted my train of thought. Another spot in my left eye caused me to try and turn my head away. Put them under, someone instructed. My eyes stung, and I closed them in hopes that it would relieve the pain, but it didn't. You two start in the ribcage there. I'm going to try to stop the bleeding in the cranium, a man's voice filled my ears. This one's a mess, he continued. A cold surge flowed through my arm, and I lay limp on the table. A moment later, I was standing in a desert. The soil was dry and hard. Before me lay an unending plain. There was not a leaf of green shooting out of the ground for as far as I could see. Quick-moving gray stratus clouds moved across the sky like great sails and furled above invisible ships. Heat waves rolled over the scorched earth, and the distance was obscured by heat waves. I turned to look behind me and saw some craggy hills rising a few hundred feet from the plain. I walked toward them, not seeing another direction any more admirable. I found myself walking up a narrow trail between the huge gray stones. I had entered the narrow gorge slowly at first, hesitant at what might greet me there, but after walking thirty or forty yards, I walked with a gait of confidence. I tripped on a stone as I reached the apex of the hill and fell tumbling down the dusty incline. I must have rolled twenty-five feet or more before I stood up and dusted myself off. A large green leaf which swayed in the sudden breeze caught my attention. I was amazed not only to see the simple green plant that sprouted out of the hard, dry ground, but to find what appeared to be an oasis, teeming with all variety of trees, flowers, and bushes. A rabbit jumped before me, and a fawn fed on some berries not twelve feet away. I felt good and laughed at the relief from the desert and for the beauty of the flora and fauna. Different birds sang in the treetops with the colors of the rainbow as their wardrobe. I walked down a narrow path and slowed to pick up several huckleberries that hung off a nearby branch. I was just about to pop some of the fat pink berries into my mouth when a movement behind the bushes caused me to jump back. A man, clothed in some kind of animal skin, who had evidently been crouching behind the bushes, stood up. A woman stood beside him, also clothed in animal skins, and clutched into the man's arm. "'What do you want?' I asked the strange couple, fearing a mugging." We want to go back, the man said, suddenly sobbing into his hands. He won't let us back in, the man said, as he glanced at me briefly before looking down at the ground. Who won't let you in where, I asked. The large man took me by the elbow and led me twenty or so feet up the path and squatted as he pointed to a place of illumination in a small clearing. He pulled me down beside him. He won't let us back in, he repeated. 
I focused on a brightly clothed creature, at least nine feet tall, with a huge broadsword held at his side. His features were difficult to make out as he glowed somewhere between the flash of gold and plasma white. What is that? I asked, noticing that the being stared directly at us. I could not bear to look at it for long because of its brightness. And as I tried to see, I felt a sickness coming on my stomach, a fall of continence, a sense of great guilt, for what I wasn't exactly sure, but I felt ashamed. The couple ignored my question and continued to crouch. The woman watched the being from behind the man's shoulder. In where? I asked. Back to the garden, the man replied. Why did you leave? I asked. Both the men and women turned to a movement along the path, and I watched as a large red and black snake slithered up the trail. I immediately jumped up and started running in the opposite direction. Wait, don't you want something to eat? The woman asked as she held out an apple to me. The muffled voices of people woke me, and I immediately felt areas of pain throughout my body. I was laid out in what I assumed to be a bed. My legs were elevated and felt very heavy. My ribs were very sore, and I could feel where they were wrapped. As I had become more conscious, the pain from my skull became more prevalent. My throat was very sore. Oh, my head, I said aloud and tried to lift my right arm, but found it restrained, as were my legs. My left arm was free, and I raised it to touch my face, and I felt a layer of gauze bandages surrounding my head. Why can't I see, I asked myself, and began to tear at the bandages. A series of footfalls increased in volume, and I reasoned that someone had entered the room and stopped at my bedside. Mr. Rennis, a woman's voice startled me. I felt strong, bony fingers grip my wrist. I'm so glad that you're awake, she said. Where am I and why can't I see, I demanded. I feared the darkness and could not tolerate the pain. I again tried to raise my arms. Now you're not going to try to ruin my bandaging job, are you, the woman asked. She just pushed my arm down on the bed and I felt pressure at my right wrist and realized that she was checking my pulse. Where am I, I asked. You're in a hospital. My name is Nancy and I am one of the nurses in recovery. What are you doing, I asked impatiently. I'm checking your pulse, she said calmly. The pain is too much, I complained, and felt a sharp pain up my right ankle, up my leg, and the right side of my skull. I'll have the doctor come in right away, the nurse said. Connie, could you page Mr. Diaz to room 210? Right away, the woman's voice carried through what I assumed to be an intercom. Dr. Diaz to room 210, Dr. Diaz to room 210, please. I heard the page echo from a distant room or hallway. What's wrong with my legs, I asked, and tried to reach my hand down. The nurse gripped my wrist and pushed my hand back in the bedding. You're a little banged up and have an IV here, so don't flounder around or you'll pull it out. I could hear the nurse fumble with something at the end of the bed. What's that, I asked. I'm just checking your chart, she replied. A few minutes passed before the heavy footsteps of a man slapped across the floor to my room. Hello, doctor, I heard the nurse greet someone. Hello, I heard a man acknowledge the nurse. I'm Dr. Diaz, he paused. What's your name? Someone touched my right hand. I turned my head a bit to hear more clearly because the bandages blocked all sound from entering my right ear. Gordon Rennis, I answered. What year is it? he asked. I gave the correct year. Who is the President of the United States? I named the President. Very good. The doctor's voice mellowed a bit. You're a very fortunate man, Mr. Rennis. Do you know what happened? I remembered getting ready to cross the street. I was standing there and covered my head with a newspaper because it had started to really rain. I could not go on because of the pain. I moaned and rubbed my ribs with my good arm. You were struck by lightning, Mr. Rennis. Lightning, I asked. Mr. Rennis, that lightning strike threw you into the street where you were hit by a car. The doctor explained, evidently a carload of bank robbers hit you while making their getaway. 
The police did catch them, however, he added. I was feeling drowsy as the drugs were taking effect. How bad am I, doctor? My words slurred a bit. We'll talk about that later. Right now, I just want to check something, he said. No, first tell me what happened to me, I yelled, and struggled to pull the bandages off my face with my free arm. The pain of my limited movement burned in various portions of my body. The nurse quickly subdued me, and I felt sparks of pain coursing up my spine, burning a hole through the back of my head. Mr. Rennes, please calm yourself, or we'll have to restrain you, the physician said. I have to know, I yelled. Well, you have a pair of broken legs, a broken arm, a broken collarbone, a fractured cranium, five broken ribs, a collapsed lung, many deep bruises and numerous abrasions. You have a second-degree burn on your right shoulder where the lightning struck you and a third-degree burn on your right heel where the energy exited from your body, the doctor told me matter-of-factly. You have been in a coma for three days, he continued. Everything hit me at once, the pain, the realization that I had been in a coma, probably close to death, and that I could not see. I lay silent for a moment. Why can't I see, I asked. The doctor sighed. When you were struck by the car, your cranium was fractured, and we had to operate to correct the misaligned eye sockets. He said in a lowered voice, My God, I thought to myself, what must I look like? What hideous scars now covered my flesh? You'll be able to see just fine after you heal a bit more, the doctor tried to reassure me. What do I look like, I blurted out. I heard someone else enter the room. Well, right now, both your legs and right arm are in a cast. Your legs are in a raised position for traction. You have a couple of minor abrasions on your left arm. Your head is wrapped up like the invisible man, the doctor said, trying to relieve my pain with a bit of humor. You had us worried for a while there, he continued. Will I be able to walk? The doctor squeezed the big toe of my right foot, which must have protruded from a cast. Do you feel that? Yes, I replied. The doctor lightly poked the skin that protruded underneath my toes with the pointed object. Do you feel that, he asked? Yes, I said, and wriggled my toes in an effort to escape the minor irritation. What are you doing? I kept thinking this was some kind of bad dream and that I would wake up any second in my bed at home. The doctor moved my left foot and began prodding again. Do you feel that, he asked? Yes, I answered. I'm checking you out, the doctor said. You do have two ruptured discs, which is part of the pain you feel, but after some therapy, you'll be able to walk just fine. A sudden coolness entered my right arm, and I shuddered a bit as it surprised me. My arm's going numb, I shouted. The nurse had just given you something for the pain, the doctor said. You're going to have a long recuperation period, Mr. Rennes, but you'll be fine. You've made the papers, he continued after a pause. The numbing sensation grew throughout my body. It seems the car that hit you carried some people that were on the FBI's ten most wanted list. The doctor's voice seemed very far away. My head suddenly grew too heavy, and I let it flop to one side. I was tired and frightened of the darkness that surrounded me. I remember thinking that if I saw only a little bit of light, it might make me a little more comfortable. Water touched my arm, and I found myself in darkness. My mouth was dry, and I smacked my lips as I stirred. Where am I, I wondered, and began to remember my situation when someone's voice startled me from out of the darkness. Good afternoon, I recognized the nurse's voice. Denise and I are giving you a sponge bath, Nancy said. Someone splashed water on my arm. It was lukewarm and felt good. Does that feel better, the nurse asked. It's sort of like being baptized, she added. A scent of perfume from one of the nurses filled my sinus, and I began to imagine what the nurses might look like when the pain of my injury suddenly came upon me in a surge. I moaned as a nurse touched my ribcage. Baptized in pain, I thought. You had a nice long rest, she said, and patted me with what I assumed it was a sponge. I'm thirsty. The sound of water being poured out of a container into another filled my ears. 
I then felt someone's hand go underneath my head to raise it. I pulled my head away until the nurse assured me that she was only helping me to drink some water. She touched the tumbler to my lips, and I sipped at the liquid. The coolness of the water was refreshing, and I filled my mouth quickly. After a few gulps, I paused to breathe, then took a much larger drink. "'Why, aren't we thirsty?' the nurse asked, and she held the cup to my lips. Quenched from water, I let my head fall back into the pillow. "'Thank you,' I said. A sharp pain ran along my forehead from temple to temple, and I tried to touch it. A moan escaped my lips. "'Yes, it's time for another dose,' she said. I heard her footsteps follow her out of the room. The nurse who remained continued to sponge me off and tried to console my pain by assuring me that it would soon pass. I recognized the stride of the nurse as she re-entered the room. A moment thereafter, I felt the coolness settle into my arm. "'You need some rest,' I heard someone say as I dropped off to sleep. I woke underneath a large apple tree and noticed I held a large, half-eaten apple in my hand. A stream meandered in front of me, and the glimmer from the side of a large trout caught my eyes as it swam by. A small cloud of smoke drifted by, and I stood up to follow the wafting vapor. The origin of the smoke seemed to be about forty yards away, and I walked under the boughs of a white apple blossom tree to a small rise where I could see a dark, curly-haired man with his hands raised and his eyes closed, leaning to a pile of rocks with a small fire upon the stones, and I could smell the burnt meat. Another man, roughly the same size and build, but with straight hair, came out from behind a tree exactly opposite me and struck the kneeling man over the head with a large rock. God honors your sacrifice, but hates mine. I hate you, Abel, the man bellowed. The man's skull burst open and spilled out into the dry earth. The brutality shocked me, and I looked at the rock pile several feet away from me, and I began to run into the forest. I accidentally kicked a large boulder in my haste and saw it roll over to reveal the blood smear on the other side of it. Oh, my foot, I yelled, feeling the throbbing of my lower right extremity. Good morning, Gordon. Does your foot hurt? I instantly recognized my wife's voice and could see her image in my mind, her brown eyes, little freckled nose, and brown hair that sometimes swirled around her left ear like a whirlpool. Everything hurts, I answered. How long have you been here, I asked. I couldn't help but moan as I felt pain from different areas of my body. I've been here at your side on and off for days, she replied. I heard you found an unusual way to stop escaping bank robbers, Susan said as she squeezed my hand. Thanks an awful lot. I was cross because of the pain. I imagine you feel like a bagful, Susan said. You really know how to soften a blow, I replied. I'm sorry, Garden. Are you in a lot of pain? What do you think, I retorted. I'm sorry. Is there anything I can do to help? No, nothing, I said flatly. Susan released my hand. Did they give you any idea of how long it would take till you're up and around? Why, are you planning a cruise with your boyfriend, I asked sarcastically. I came to see you, Susan answered. The pain and anger within me kept silent for a few minutes. May I have some water, I asked. A rippling noise, which must have been Susan pouring water from the pitcher into a cup, filled my ears. I felt the rim of the cup as she touched it to my lips. Here, she offered. The water was cold and my teeth ached as it rushed over my tongue and down my throat. Thanks. The drugs make me thirsty, I explained. I suppose this means you won't be able to make the banquet, Susan said as she touched my hand. Very funny, but I'm sure you'll find a replacement, I accused her in a harsh tone as I thought of her hedonistic habits. Maybe I should come back when you're in a better mood. I asked her not to leave and reached out a blind hand. She gripped it in both of hers. Why did this have to happen to me, I asked. I'm sorry, she said. 
Do you still want a separation, I asked, knowing that she actually wanted a divorce, but my ego still fought off my obvious failure at marriage. She placed both hands on mine. Her skin was soft and warm to the touch. We'll talk about that once you're back on your feet. Why, so you can knock me down again, I asked, as I pulled my hand away, which hurt. I was bitter because of our life together in recent years. I didn't have to see to know that Susan was frowning. Oh, here, Susan said, and placed something in my hand. It was hard, metallic, and cold to the touch. I could make out a recognizable shape and felt a series of bulges curved and corners with ridges. What is it, I asked. It's the coins you had in your pants pocket. They're all melted together in a glob. Isn't that amazing? The lightning had enough energy to actually melt those coins and not vaporize you, she added. Is the fact that I'm still alive annoying to you, I asked. No, no, of course not, she said. They said that you were knocked right out of your shoes and your clothes were on fire when you were sent into the street, she added, and the impact of the fire was put out by the rain. I suddenly felt myself grow groggy. I must have fallen asleep holding Susan's hand because I did remember saying goodbye. I found myself out of breath at the top of the hill. The attacker ran down the grade before me with each of his steps crunching on the very dry ground. He ran in a straight line toward the sun. I remember my anger at the assault of the innocent and found myself close behind the assailant. I reached out and grabbed a clump of his long, thick hair. He stopped and turned on me in an instant, and I could see a large red serpent tattooed on his forehead. I couldn't help but stare at the raised patch of flesh that looked burned upon him. Cain, I yelled. A sudden pain tore at my ribs. With my free hand, I reached down to the spot where the agony stemmed from. I've been stabbed, I said, and gripped the area that hurt me. What a baby you are, Mr. Rennes. It's only twenty stitches, she said. She applied what I guessed was a new dressing and then leaned against the bed rail. I heard it creak. I had thirty on my leg when I was a little girl, and I didn't even cry. Are you a peg leg, I asked. As my breathing slowed, I tried to think of something other than the pain. I get my share of whistles, the nurse said. Here's how you channel down. And this dial is the volume, she said, and rubbed my thumb over a dial. I turned the sound up to hear the deep, booming voice of a newscaster. The button at the end turns it off, she continued. The other is to call a nurse. I thank the nurse for her help. You won't be able to see it, but at least you'll hear it, she said. I clutched the nurse's hand before she could let go of the selector. I craved human touch, and to feel her warm palm and fingers was comforting. Will I really be able to see again? I squeezed the soft flesh of her hand. The doctor will talk to you about that, Mr. Rennes, but believe me, your eyes are fine. It's just the surrounding area that needs to heal up a bit more, she said and patted me on the hand. What's the first thing you want to see after your bandages are removed? I lay still while holding her hand. I don't know. Maybe the sunrise or the stars at night, I paused. I know. What, the nurse asked. Your legs. The nurse patted my hand with hers again. You must be feeling better, she said. It won't be long now before we're going to have you in therapy. So after a while, maybe you can take me out dancing. I could hear her cleaning up around the bed. I'm not much for blind dates, I said. I heard her laugh as she walked out of the room. That was Paul Hernandez reading The Reflection, where we discover Gordon Rennes, who, as he's crossing the street, gets hit by lightning, which throws him clear across the intersection and up against the car, 
driven by a bunch of bank robbers who are at that very moment in the process of making a getaway. Gordon is seriously injured, taken to a hospital, and often goes into unconsciousness, where he enters a kind of biblical dream world, recalling the Garden of Eden and even into a brief encounter with Cain and Abel. Believe it or not, folks, our author tonight, Paul Hernandez, was on our very first program some 17 years ago and has been on our show just about every year since. Paul tells us that Oak Tara, an East Coast publisher, has accepted this, his first novel. So all of us on Valley Writers Read congratulate him and wish him well. Thanks, Paul Hernandez, for all your contributions to Valley Writers Read and all your support for, yay, all these many years. We hope the reflection will be a big success. And so we come to the close of another edition of Valley Writers Read. Thank you for listening. If you'd like to hear tonight's or any other Valley Writers Read story, just go online at kvpr.org and link up with archived audio. Next week, our author will be Marilyn Larson. In the meantime, this is your host, Franz Weinschenk, wishing you and yours a great life story until we meet again. Good night. Valley Writers Read is a production of Valley Public Radio produced by Don Weaver and Franz Weinschenk. Please join us again next Wednesday at 7 p.m. for another edition of Valley Writers Read.